What are some New Year's resolutions that you've heard of? Joe? Lose to lose weight. Marie? To work out. Parker, what's a New Year's resolution? Spend time with your family. Very good. Kiara, what's a New Year's resolution? Read the whole Bible in a year. Very good. Lena? To stop ignoring your parents. Amen. It's time for the altar call. No, no, no. Sean. Quit smoking. Yeah, quit vaping. There you go. Someone just updated it for me. Yes. Be more organized. Be more organized. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. What else? One more. One more. Gabby, what's another New Year's resolution? Listen to God. Listen to God. I, think, I think that's all we need to say. Those are great New Year's resolutions. How many of you have ever set a New Year's resolution before? How many of you have ever set one? How many of you set one and didn't finish one? I'll raise my hand, right? Uh, it seems that for the most part, according to the numbers that I looked at, the people who make New Year's resolutions are between 18 and 30. Those are the people that make New Year's resolutions. And so I asked myself the question, why is it between 18 and 30? Well, I guess it's possible that by the time you're older than that, you've achieved all of your resolutions and you've now arrived, Right? Actually, what I think it is, I've set New Year's resolutions so many times and not followed through that I'm like, who cares? Why bother? You know, but it's, it's, it's funny because you're going to see things here in the next few weeks. If any of you exercise at a, a gym, you're going to see a bunch of new people show up at the gym here uh, with their, their new exercise clothes and water bottles that they got for Christmas. And they're going to be there for January and a little bit of February, and then they're going to disappear, and you're going to be like, I wonder where they went, right? Some people might get back at keeping their family budget better. There's all sorts of things that folks will be doing. Um, but I don't, I don't want to give you the idea that just because we make a decision to change on New Year's Day that there's something magic in that. But people do change. They do change for the better, and change for real. But the real question is, how do you get that and not end up with just a little New Year's resolution short change? Lasting change. Maybe you've even seen it in somebody else and you're like, how did they do that? Do you know somebody whose life is now radically different than what they were before? Any of you know somebody that lost like a ton of weight and you're like, wow, they lost all that weight and they kept it off or somebody got in really good shape or somebody started playing an instrument or somebody decided they were going to have a career change and they've, they've shifted what they've done or they were going to do a new hobby and they get really into it. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but I've seen people before go from having zero interest in God to being some of the most spiritually mature people. And I say, what happened? Now, I know that if he's watching, he's probably not watching at 1.30 in the afternoon, so it's safe for me to say this. How many of you remember the missionary who was recently with us, David Gall? How many of you remember David Gall who was recently with us? To, yeah, to that place over there near Russia that we're not talking about for his safety's sake. He honestly wasn't that great of a student. When I had him as a student at Crown, he was sort of like, eh, Right? He, he, he would be sort of inconsistent and he'd get excited about something for a little while and then he'd fall away and get excited and fall away. And God has just done a work in his life. Uh, when I heard him uh, back in the spring, I guess it was, at Kenny Baldwin's church, I'm like, whoa, God has gotten a hold of this young man and he's really changed. And sometimes we see people like that and we say, I want that. I want the change that they have. I, I want to make that kind of progress. Maybe we want to start something good or quit something bad. 
but we're worried that like every other year, we've, we're going to lose motivation. So what's the answer? Is it trying harder? Is it a new plan, a new strategy? Well, lasting change, God empowers change, happens in a way that doesn't seem very active and doesn't seem very effective, and maybe you can't measure it in the way that the world and their leadership training would want to measure it. But let's look at what the Lord has for us in in Philippians, if you would please, back to the same passage we were at this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. And while you're turning there, for those of you that will ever preach or teach the Bible, know that at some point you're studying for a message and you realize you've got two messages there. Don't shove them both into one. Split them up. If you can't split them up, turn it into a series for the sake of everybody that you're preaching to and for the time of it all. Philippians chapter 2, let's read together in verse number 12. The Word of God says this. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this time you'd keep us awake, alert, and focused on your word. May your spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I've quoted this Philippians 2.13 so often uh, at different times in other messages that I realize it's been a while since we've actually gone to this place. And I don't know if you have a life verse or a verse for a season of your life, but this has definitely been one that I've come back to again and again. But before we get to 13, let's look at 12. Wherefore, my beloved, remember who's writing here. This is the Spirit of God using the Apostle Paul to give us these exact words as the Spirit of God wants them. And Paul has helped start this church in Philippi. He was there on a second missionary journey, and he taught people about Jesus, and they were baptized, and they were organized together into a church. And now he's in prison. It's it's several years later. He's in prison. He's writing back to this church, trying to help them to learn how to live the Christian life. And they're dear to him. They're dear to him. And so he calls them his beloved. His beloved. You might ask, what is the wherefore, therefore? Wherefore? Well, it goes back to beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." So this passage is talking about because Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father's plan and he was willing to do what was asked of him and he did it for our benefit. It brings us to where he says in verse number 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. These folks left the lasting impression with the Apostle Paul that they were going to follow the word of God. They were obedient people. Now, that word, obey, is probably not your favorite word, is it? When, when you hear the word obey, oftentimes, most people think of like an animal, right? You're trying to teach your dog to obey, or you're, I don't know if cats ever obey, but you're trying to teach your dog to obey. You need to, you need to, to sit when I say sit and come when I say come, and you're teaching them commands and obey, but you don't really like it when you're talked to as an adult and someone talks to you about obeying. But for a second, remember who it is that they're obeying. It's not just the Apostle Paul. It's the teachings of Christ that the Apostle Paul is giving him, giving all of the people in Philippi. And so he says, you have a reputation of obeying, of following what God asks of you. Isn't that an amazing thing to have that 
Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have that reputation? Maybe you do. I love it when people say, well, what, what does the Bible say? When I was traveling in India this past fall, they tried to get me in trouble. They tried to get me in trouble by pulling me into their disputes that they were having. Some of the churches there that had gone off into more of a liberalism over time, um, they started to have women pastors and women deacons and things like that. And then the position of the college was against that, but you had a mixture of the students from the different areas. And when I opened it up, I was talking with them about discipleship. It had nothing to do anything about deacons or pastors. It was just how to disciple people. And I opened it up for questions and boom, immediately someone stood up and tried to drag me into their arguments. You know, what do you think about this? And I had a safe place to go. You know what I said? Let's see what the Bible says about that. So it's not my opinion. It's not their opinion. It's what does God have to say? And I I love it when people find out what God says about something and then they, they want to do it. There was a time when the book of the law was lost in the Old Testament. They, they didn't know what it said, but there was a king who, unlike his forebearers, was a good king, and he had them start to do the work that was supposed to be done on, on God's house, and they found the book of the law, and when they looked at it and they read it to everybody, everybody was dismayed, and they're like, we haven't done what was asked of us. And they got very, very upset that they had not obeyed, and they made a decision to obey. That was the reputation that they had. Uh, what, what do you call partial obedience? Disobedience. Uh, I don't know if my kids rolled their eyes at me, but partial obedience is disobedience, and that unfortunately is often how people live. Not because they try and fail, but because they take the things that they agree with and they're like, we're going to do that. But then there's some area over here that they don't agree with, and they sort of just try not to think about it too much, try not to look at it. Well, because I'm obeying all this stuff over here, it's all right if I don't deal with that over here. That was not the way that the Philippian church was. And it says that they obeyed when Paul was there with them, when he was there looking at them and teaching them and telling them, this is how we ought to pray, and this is what we ought to read from the Old Testament, and this is how we ought to take care of one another, and this is how we ought to be generous and to serve, and all of those things. They listened to what he said. You know, when when your pastor is with you, or when your boss is with you at work, or your teacher is with you at school, or a professor is with you, or a coach is with you in a sport, it's very easy to follow the instructions, isn't it? Because if you don't, you get immediate feedback, right? You get immediate feedback if you don't do that. I can remember being a child and being with my parents and towing the line when they were around. But what happens, what happens when mom and dad aren't around? What happens when the boss isn't there? What happens when the coach isn't there? What happens when the the teacher walks out of the room for a moment? What happens when there's a substitute teacher, right? Oftentimes, people who obeyed when their authority was right there in front of them, they don't obey when the authority is gone. But these Philippians were amazing because it said that they weren't just, in verse number 12, doing it as his presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know what's wild? They grew more... Well, Paul was away because they had learned to follow God for themselves. They had learned to have their own walk with God, and so they grew even though the Apostle Paul wasn't with them anymore. Remember, he was there, he preached, people got saved, they ended up discipled, they got organized into the church, and he left and he moved on. And you would imagine, like in some of the other churches, that things would get ugly after Paul left. Think about what happened in the church in Corinth. A lot of things went wrong. But here, they were still continuing even though he wasn't there. That is one of the biggest changes in my heart that lets me know that I'm saved. 
If I get to the place where sometimes I'm, I'm so discouraged that I haven't made the progress that I want to, I think back to this fact. Before I was a believer in Jesus Christ, I would feel bad only when I got caught and faced consequences. But after I got saved, I would start to feel bad about things that I never got caught on. In fact, I can remember a time when I was convicted about something. The first time it ever happened, I was in college. I got saved when I was 18. I was off at Ohio State. I was convicted about something. God showed me that something was wrong, and the preacher never preached on it. I never read a booklet about it. It never came up. But God told me, your music that you're listening to, that's not pleasing to me. The pastor never once preached on music. I'm sure he did at some point, but it wasn't within memory of that time when I was having that feeling. What is that? As I was reading my Bible, as I was learning to pray, as I was trying to be faithful in church, as I was attempting to serve, I began to grow, and God began to say, okay, it's time, it's time to grow, it's time to change. Some things need to be let go of, some new things need to be put in, and so I made some changes, and, and God never even really, God dealt with that directly. Man never got involved in that. What is that? Well, that is having your own walk, your own experience, your own connection with the Lord. So one of the things that sometimes happens is instead of following God, we end up following a man. And that can be very dangerous. See, if they were following a man in the church in Philippi, when Paul left, they'd be done. They'd be done because Paul wasn't there anymore. And so they would just sort of slide away and they wouldn't be as involved and they wouldn't be as faithful and they wouldn't be as serious about their time with God. And so when Paul came back, maybe they'd all show back up. But these folks, even when he was gone, even more so when he was gone, they were faithful about the things of God. I love people who follow the Lord without having to be coerced into it because they want to grow for themselves. The second part of this verse says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. First, let's talk about what this verse is not saying, right? There is a modern phrase that means for you to solve a problem when someone tells you to work it out right? Work it out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, work it out. You guys are fighting over this. Which way are we going to go? I don't know. Work it out, right? That gives you the idea that you have to solve the problem on your own. That is a modern expression that would not have been familiar to the people that spoke the English that we're reading here when it came out. There's all sorts of things, slang, changes in language. They would not have thought work it out or work out or figure it out. They would not have thought that when they read this. This is a little bit more like buying furniture from Ikea. Don't eat the meatballs. The furniture at Ikea, how does it come? Fully assembled? No, it does not come fully assembled. What does it come in? Many pieces. And you've got all the pieces, hopefully. Let's just pretend for the sake of the illustration. You've got all the pieces you're supposed to have when you're putting together this, this desk or this coffee table, or this shelving system. You've got all the pieces, but until you put it together, it's not everything it was meant to be. You could buy that piece of furniture, and you could leave it in that flat box that you drove home with, or that arrived at your door, and you could stick it in the closet, and you would have it, but it would not be everything it was supposed to be. It wouldn't be everything it was supposed to be. And you could, you could open it up and work on it for a night and realize it wasn't enough time and you didn't get it done and it's partially built and it doesn't support everything it's supposed to, doesn't have all the shelves and the legs and it doesn't look like it's supposed to. And you could stop there and be like, I guess that's enough and not finish it. Or you could go all the way and finish building out what was already provided for you. 
and you could have a final product that you could be pleased with. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying figure out how to be saved. He's like, I want you to realize that God saved you to become a certain kind of man or a certain kind of woman. God saved you to become a certain kind of boy, a certain kind of girl, and don't stop. Don't stop. Keep moving towards who God saved you to be. Your salvation comes with it the, the Spirit of God, the power of God, the mind of Christ, all of these things are yours. Everything you need for life and godliness can be found in what's been given to you in your salvation. But, like the Ikea, you got to put it together. you got to put it together. Have you ever bought seeds for your garden? Bush beans, right? Let's say we're going to buy, like, we want bush beans. And so you get that seed and you take it home and you're like, look! I've got a bean plant. Only in name do you have a bean plant. It's technically what that is, but you've got to put that thing in the ground. You've got to cover it. You've got to water it. You've got to make sure that it has the right nutrients that it needs, and then it's going to grow to become something much more than it was before. You could keep it as a seed, but it's not what it was intended to be. And in the same way, you can just get saved and never move forward and never change and never grow and you would still be saved, but think of all that you're missing out on. Think of everything that God wants you to be. It would be a sad thing for me to show up to heaven one day, never having put together all that God laid out for me to use, to build. That would be a sad day to arrive in heaven like that. Some people, um, they, they get to a certain point, and they've built enough, and they don't return to it. But there's still things left to assemble. God has more for you because we are not yet like Jesus Christ. So let's not stop building. Let's not stop working out this salvation. And it says with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, you say, what does that even mean in this context? It goes back to what we talked about this morning. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Compare strife and vainglory with fear and trembling. Fighting, rivalry, ambition, Pride, looking good when you're not really good, versus reverence, caution, making sure that God gets the glory and not me. He says that's how you're supposed to work out this salvation, not about look how spiritual I am, but with meekness and gentleness. Verse number 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, I want to work out my own salvation, but you know what I found out? I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. I want to change. I want to do things that I don't do. This year, um, we're going to focus, we'll talk more about it next Sunday, on the inner life, the inner life, on the heart, the inner man, our direct connection with God. We're going to do something that we haven't done before. We're going to have a prayer retreat. Uh, Lord willing, if everything works out well. Uh, how many of you know D. Easter? Any of you remember D. Easter from Pastor's Training School, Missionary Training School? He's going to be up here with us, Lord willing, if everything works out well. And he's going to lead us. And you know what that prayer retreat's going to be? It's not just going to be teaching on prayer, though there'll be some of that. You know what we're going to do in a prayer retreat? This is going to blow your mind. We're going to actually pray for a long time. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. You say, I don't get excited about prayer. Yeah, that's why God changes, not just or enables you to will, excuse me, to do, but also to will. 
See, it says God works in you. He works with you and in you and alongside you. He enables you to not just do the stuff you're supposed to, but to want to do it. That's another reason I know that I'm a Christian is because I've done plenty of things in my life, especially when I was unsaved, that I didn't want to do. Right? Have you ever done stuff that you didn't want to do just to keep peace, just to toe the line, just because you didn't want to get in trouble, just because it was expected of you? But then you get to a place where God has changed your desires, so now you actually want to. The wild thing to me is not that I'm in church three times a week, it's that I want to be. The wild thing to me is not just that I desire to know God and to read his word and to pray. Or I'm not just reading his word and praying, it's that I actually want to do it. That shows that something is different on the inside, that our want to has changed. And praise God, he doesn't leave us in a joyless state of forced obedience. He doesn't just like a robot say, march and do this whether you want to or not. No, he changes the heart and he works inside of us to make us want to do the things he's called us to. Has God ever called you to do something, maybe a change of job or a a school or a change of ministry, and you weren't entirely sure you wanted to do it, but you knew God was calling you to, and so you did it anyway? And you ended up really happy you did. What happened? Well, God changed your want to. He changed your will so that you would like doing it. I've seen it happen a few different times in my own life where God called me to a certain thing and I wasn't exactly excited about that certain thing that he called me to, but I decided I was going to do what he asked. And when I got there, I loved it. I didn't love it before I got there, but once I got there, I loved it. What is that? God working in me to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. God will enable us, work in us, to want the things and to actually do the things that make him happy. That may, so what a great God we have who's not just, here's a list of rules, make sure you follow these regulations, they've been posted in the break room, if you step out of line, you're fired. That's not who this is. This is a God who not only asks it of us, but enables us to do it. And not only enables us to do it, but makes us want to do it. He makes us want to do it. Sometimes we look at what God asks us to do and we say, well, it might be of his good pleasure, but it's not of my good pleasure. He wants me to do it, but I don't really want to do that. And so what, what is that moment? We have to believe that God really does know best and he really does love us and that his will is the best thing for us, even when it doesn't look like on the front end. Have you experienced that, believer? Have you experienced that where it didn't look like it was good on the front end, but once you got on the back end, you're like, yeah, okay, that was good. I'm so glad that I listened to what he, he said. I, um, I was a planner. I don't know what happened. I guess life happened, but I used to be a planner, and I had all sorts of things work out as to what I was going to do with my life. And they involved a lot more money and a lot more vacations and a boat and all sorts of other things like that. And um, God had a different path for me. And you know what? It's amazing. It's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's fantastic. I love what God has given me. I love what he hasn't given me. I love the place he's put me. I love the places he hasn't put me. I rejoice in what he's given me. And I didn't maybe see it at the beginning, but having walked with the Lord for a while, I see it now. God works to change our desires towards those godly things. It's two sides. God works, but we have to have faith that he's working. We have to believe. We have to trust. We have to lean on him. See, faith always comes before following. 
Faith always comes before following. If we just try and jump in it and do it in our own strength, we're going to fall flat on our faces. Or we're going to do good for a little while and then burn out. Or we're going to do good and hate it. To have God's blessing, it's a matter of faith and then following. So, three points of application. Three points of application for us to look at tonight, or this afternoon before we head out. First of all, let's adopt an attitude of obedience toward God. Let's adopt an attitude of obedience towards God. Paul praised these Philippian Christians. Why? Because they had a reputation and a habit of obeying. It wasn't about obeying Paul. It wasn't Paul trying to build something for himself that Paul thought he was somebody, but that he delivered to them the words of Christ and they obeyed the words of Christ. And it was about obeying God because that was the very best thing for everybody involved. Is there anything better than what God wants us to do? Does anyone have a clearer picture of where we need to end up? Does anyone know us better than God? Is anyone more capable or more loving or more committed than God? Some people are worried that if you surrender your life to the Lord, that he's going to make you miserable. You ever heard that idea? Oh, if I tell God I'm going to be a missionary, he's going to make me go to, like, Siberia. Right? I'm going to end up living in a jungle eating bugs. Do you really think that's who God is? Do you really think... Let me tell you, if God called you to Siberia and you, you obeyed, you'd be happy about it. And if he called you to the middle of nowhere to eat bugs, you'd find out that bugs are your favorite food. You just didn't give them a fair chance before. I have seen God do some things with people that just boggle my mind. I just don't get it. There was, um, there was a gentleman that was called to go into missions and live on the edge of the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and work with the villages there, teaching them English and giving them the gospel. He was the weirdest guy in the world. He was so bizarre. He and his family, they were just, they were as unusual as anybody. But you know what? They fit in Mongolia on the edge of the Gobi Desert. Well, they wouldn't have known it had they not gone there and showed up. And they're like, this isn't so bad. And then I hear about the conditions in which he's living. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'll have to tell you about my trip to Mongolia sometime and the fermented horse's milk I drank. It's not my favorite place. Let's just say that. Not my favorite place. I blame Dr. Keene. He didn't tell me I didn't have to drink it. He made me think I had to. He got a good laugh out of that. Adopt an attitude of obedience towards God. When you come to a conflict, when you come to a crossroads, when you come to a crisis, handle it God's way. What does God say about this? What does he want me to do here? What would be the right way? Well, I should, in the conflict, I should try for restoration. I should go to that person directly. I shouldn't gossip about it. I should go with the desire when I speak with them, not just to be right, but to have unity. I should show love that covers a multitude of sins. When I come to a crossroads, I should be seeking what the Lord would have me to do. What does his word tell me? What does his spirit put in my heart to do? What does conventional wisdom say? What kind of opportunities has the Lord providentially opened for me? And by looking at those things and saying, what does the Lord want? You find yourself in a much safer ground and you've deferred it to handle it God's way. When you come to a crisis and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Believe God. Believe God for the peace that passes all understanding. The second thing is to commit to grow spiritually this year. Commit to grow. I don't know. Some of you may want to get swole in the gym. We used to say ripped, but now it's swole. You want to get huge, right? Maybe you're trying to bulk up. Maybe you're trying to lose weight to become that cut athletic 
thing you've always expected. Maybe trying to change how you eat so you feel better or get more sleep so that you're more energetic. You're trying to get more. You've got all sorts of things that you want to do. You're going to clean out that room. You're going to, maybe this is the year that you move. Maybe this is the year that you remodel. Maybe this is the year, whatever. You have all these things. At the top of all of that, let us all be challenged to commit to grow spiritually this year. Did you know that someone who's been doing something for 50 years might have 50 years of experience or they might have one year of experience 50 times. Let me say that again. Someone who's been doing something for 50 years might have 50 years experience or they might have one year of experience 50 times. You know what that means? They're still doing it, but they stopped growing. They haven't gotten any better at it. We should all want to get better. Are we going to be closer to God at the end of 2023 than we are now here at the end of 2022? Are we going to be more like him? Are we going to enjoy him more? Are we going to be challenged more to serve him and to give him glory by obeying in our lives? God works in us uh, to help us to grow. So this isn't just going to be on us. But every aspect of your life is made better by a healthy walk with God. Every aspect of it. Did you know that even your physical life is made better by a healthy spiritual life? When you have submitted yourself to God and you've said no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, you're, you're not going to eat those things anymore. You're not going to always say yes to that. You're going to get up and you're going to move and do what's asked of you. You're going to mortify the flesh. It's connected. Steve told me the craziest story one time. I don't think he had this person as a counselee, but it's something he watched on a video where this counselee was giving his... And maybe, Bill, maybe you've seen this. This man ended up in the most horrible type of lascivious, sensual sin that you could imagine. I won't even talk about it here. You know how he said it started when he finally got right with God? And he said it started with overeating. And this guy was skinny. He was tall and skinny. And he said, nobody knew, but I ate a disgusting amount of food. I thought that was weird. And Steve went on to tell me more about the story. He said I, that this man built a pattern of saying yes to his flesh again and again and again. And at first it was just with food. And after that, it was anything his flesh wanted. He built this pattern of saying yes. And the same thing in the opposite is true. When we say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh, it extends past just perhaps controlling our tongue or getting rid of bitterness or or. Uh, attendance at church and things, it will extend to every aspect of our life when our flesh is put in its rightful place. So let's commit to grow spiritually this year. Let's read God's word. Let's pray. Let's serve others. In fact, that's one of the, the reasons why we're launching this, if you will. This is a prototype. Hopefully, by the end of this year, we will have a much nicer, more durable form of this per, uh, printed professionally. What this has inside of it is, it's just something for our church members. We're not trying to sell it or make some big product for anything, but it's combined a few things. It's got a Bible reading plan in it, and it's got a way for you to pray, to organize your prayer life. If you've already got one, if you've got a prayer journal and you use it faithfully, keep going. Don't switch. If it works for you, keep using that. But if you've never taken time to organize your, your devotional life, this has a place for you to... Uh, Decide when and where you're going to do your devotions. It's got what you need to be reading. And if you read this whole thing, it will take you through the Bible in a year. It has inside of it prayer lists, things that you're going to pray for daily, things that you're going to pray for on Monday, things that you're going to pray for on Tuesday. And for example, Monday's about your extended family, Tuesday's about your friends, Wednesday's about your missionaries, 
Thursday is about praying for the sick, and you can make specific notes in all of this, and you can write all over it because it's designed to be thrown away every quarter and remade so that you revisit all of your prayer requests at least once a quarter to decide if they need to be carried on, and also so that you don't worry about treating this thing perfect so that it looks just right. Write all over it, right? If you need another one, it's seven pages of paper. (laughs) We're happy to provide it for you. So the reason that we gave, this is a tool. This doesn't do anything unless you commit to grow spiritually. But if you commit to grow spiritually, it's going to tell you what to read in your Bible. And it's also going to tell you what you should be praying for that day with just a little bit of work up front. And we have these out available on the Lord's Supper table here, and we can get you more if you need it. Arrange your weekly schedule around the Lord and around the Lord's uh, things, around his kingdom, right? So when you're, you're thinking about what's the most important thing that I'm going to do in a day, can anybody tell me what the most important thing you're going to do in a day is? I would say pray. I would say pray. Even though sharing the gospel is important, if I don't pray before I share the gospel, I could be in trouble. In fact, if I don't pray before I read the Bible, my heart's not ready to receive it oftentimes. Sometimes I do it the other way and I read the Bible until I find something that encourages me to pray. But there's an article inside of this by a man named George Mueller. He was a man that they say prayed a hole in heaven. That's what they talked about. And he was an Austrian man, if I remember correctly, who started in uh, orphanages in the UK, children's homes and things like that. His, his autobiography is like a, it's like a fantasy book. It's almost like fiction. It's almost like, how can a man pray and have so many answers to prayer and remember them and record them? Everyone should read his autobiography. It's wonderful. But there's an article in the back of each of these that's called Soul Nourishment First, and it's about having a devotional walk with God written by George Mueller, and I would love for you all to read that. So arrange your schedule around spending time with the Lord and your week around God's house. Only God knows what's left for you to build that's still in that box. Don't leave it there. Finish building. Become the person that God has saved you to be. And lastly, have faith that God is working in you. Have faith that God is working in you. God works in you to want the right things, and he works in you to do the right things. God's part is to work, and our part is to believe. Our part is faith. His part is to work. We trust, we lean, we rest on God. It's always going to be that faith before we follow. It's always going to be the faith before we follow. Meaning that following what he asks us to do is important. Following what he asks us to do is important. We don't just keep lying and sit there and wait for God to change us to stop lying. We don't just keep sitting there and being bitter until God changes us. We, we ask him to, to help us and we try our best, but it always needs to be grounded and begin in faith because he's the one who works in us. That takes a load off of my shoulders. Does that take a load off anybody else's shoulders to know that God wants something from me and he's going to be the one to make me want it and he's going to be the one to help me finish it? Someone once said that God... Whatever God orders, he pays for. (laughs) This is like that, except in the realm of growing to be like Christ. Faith comes first in God's work. If we get the wrong order and try and do the following before the faith, we're going to run out of steam. We're going to run out of motivation, like the New Year's resolutions often do, because we're not starting in the right place. Change does not happen by working harder, and that's so different than what we hear. Change happens by greater faith in God, by getting as close to God as we possibly can and watching him crowd the things that don't belong out of our life and watching him grow the things into our life that do belong there. 
For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to thank you so much for battling to stay awake and alert to hear what the word of the Lord says. And let me ask you a couple of questions, because in our church we have a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is in your own heart and mind, that what it is that God has spoken to you about. And maybe you're here and you're looking at this new year and you're thinking, I need, I need to make some changes. There's some good things I need to start doing or restart doing. Maybe you look at this year and you think, there are some things that I need to stop doing. There are some, perhaps, relationships that need to be changed or need to be ended some relationships that need to be renewed and repaired. And you say, I want these things, but how am I ever going to do them? And this, this time, this year, for whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, you're saying, Lord, work in me both to want to and to do, to will and to do of your good pleasure. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, is there anybody like that that would say, God, I want you to work in me both to will and to do this year. There's something that needs to change, something that needs to start, something that needs to stop, whatever it is, just between you and God. Would you slip your hand up right back down? Lord, help me. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. The Lord sees. Perhaps you're here and you've been trying to change in your own strength and you got discouraged and so you quit and you're not really growing anymore. You're not closer to Jesus than you were this time last year. You're not any more passionate. Maybe you're even less passionate about God and the things of God. And you want to recommit to grow spiritually this year. Maybe to gain new ground or regain old ground. But you're saying, Lord, help me. Help me this year to grow spiritually. I'm purposing in my heart to do that. Would there be anybody here who would say, that's me, just between you and me and God, would you lift your hand up? Amen. Anybody else? That's me. Praise God. Amen. Finally, maybe you just have a hard time believing that God's going to answer this prayer. It sounds too easy. It seems too simple. You're, you're used to having to plan and scheme and scrape and work and sweat and just the idea of resting in God's promise that he'll work in you and change you. It seems so foreign, but you're asking God to give you that kind of faith because if real change comes from greater faith, you want change, so you need greater faith. Would there be anybody like that that says, I believe, but Lord, help mine unbelief. They say, Lord, give me greater faith. Would anybody like that here today? Amen. Amen. If you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, perhaps you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member, or maybe there's something completely different that God has put on your heart. You want to make use of the altar during this time. I want to invite you to do so. But whatever the Lord has said, let's purpose to him and say yes, shall we? Father, be glorified in how your children obey you, your spirit, in this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?